to get through. James chapter 1 and verse 21 says this, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. Every shout implanted word. Word. Implanted word, which is able to save your, your souls. Now go with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. This is Jesus teaching now. And he says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds of the air, they came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil. Shout, good soil? Good soil soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This morning, as we continue on in our series, Jimmy, I want to speak to you from the subject dirt. Dirt. As we look at how the condition of our heart affects our lives. Will you pray with me just one more time? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, that it's active, that it's powerful. I thank you for these amazing people, the church. Not the four walls, not the carpet, not the lights, but the people. The amazing, beautiful people that make up this place. All with our stories and our hang-ups and our hurts and our habits. The things that cause us to doubt, the things that cause us to fear, the things that cause us to rejoice, and the things that causes us to look to you. Thank you for bringing us together this day. I pray that you would continue to unite us. Speak to us now. Transform our hearts as we hear from your word. May we experience your presence in and through your word this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and the church shouted. James and Jesus right here initiate a conversation about our hearts. James encourages us to receive with meekness the implanted word, right? The implanted word. Jesus shows us the picture of what that looks like. Later on, after, verses, after verse 9 right there in Matthew, Jesus would then talk about the parable and explain to us what the parable actually means, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But James and Jesus right here launch into this, this understanding that we need to have about the condition of our hearts. I don't know if we could all agree on this, but most of us will. How many of you know that our heart is important? Our heart is very important. It's such a vital part of our bodies. We know this, we can agree on this, but the Bible takes our heart a little bit further. Have you ever injured something before, and once you've injured it, you've become more aware of it? Maybe if you've torn an MCL or an ACL, or you've sprained or broken your ankle, or if you hurt your back or your neck or anything like that, how many of you know that before the injury, you weren't so aware of it, but after the injury, you're very much aware of it, right? Our heart's the same way. A long time ago, I've told this story before, and quickly, but... I had a viral attack when we were on vacation on the Disney boat. We went on a Disney cruise together. My daughter was six months, and my son's a little bit older. Big vacation. We, we went to the nines with it. We were pumped about this vacation. I had a viral attack that attacked my heart, and it made it look like I was having a heart attack as a 28, 29-year-old dude, to which I was frustrated, and I ended up having to be laid up in a hospital for the week in, in, Cabo, in Cabo while my wife and my children ate lobster on the cruise and sang songs with Mickey. <laughs> it was a great vacation. <laughs> my brother had to fly in and hang with me in Mexico, and we had our, our Mexican heart adventures, and it was awesome. And 
it was in that moment after that where I've now become 10 times more aware of my heart. I have a healthy heart. I actually get it checked up, like checked on more often than probably I should as the, as, at the age that I'm at. But why? Because I'm aware of it more now that it's received injury. And this is the concept that James is trying to drive us. We need to, and Jesus is trying to drive us to, which is we need to be aware of our hearts, and not just our hearts, but the condition of our hearts. See, the heart, according to the Bible, is more than a vital organ that produces the necessary flow of blood in our lives. In the Bible, the heart is the overall mode of control in and for our lives. It sets the tone of our lives. It sets the culture of our lives. It sets the, the DNA of our lives. It regulates our will, our emotions, our actions, our reactions. Come on, somebody. <laughs> the heart mandates and maintains the direction and overall cadence of our our life. The Bible tells us that we search for God with our hearts. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with your, everybody shout, heart. The Bible tells us that we love God by way of our heart. Deuteronomy 6 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your what? Heart. It tells us that our heart is the canvas for God's word. Deuteronomy 6, 6, and these words that I command to you shall be on your heart. You guys getting the point here? The Bible tells us that God's perspective of us is shaped by our hearts. 1 Samuel 16, 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It tells us that we store God's word in our heart. Psalm 119, 11, I've stored up your word in my heart. Generosity begins in our hearts. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our mouth is directed by our hearts. Matthew 12, 34, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil for out of the abundance of your heart the mouth speaks? We are set apart in God by way of our hearts, Romans 2, 29, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the, the letter. Romans 10, 9, salvation takes place by way of our hearts, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's just a few moments where the Bible deals with our with our hearts. Our hearts are the central focus of everything that we are. Now it's right here in Matthew 13. We're going to get to James 121 in a minute, okay? And I'm going to do my best for, uh, to, keep you, to keep you locked into this and, and, and staying with me. i got to build this foundation so that we can talk about the end part of this segment as we round to the end of James chapter 2 and what our heart actually does. Now, Jesus communicates to us in Matthew 13 that there's four types of hearts. I want to talk about those really quick. The first type of heart is the hardened heart. The hardened heart. We ready to do some surgery this morning. The hardened heart. Matthew 13, 4. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Why and how did the birds have the opportunity to devour those seeds? It's because the ground was hardened to the point where the seeds could not even take root. So Jesus is communicating to us that the first type of heart that we can experience in life and have is a hardened heart. Heart. The dictionary describes hardness to make callous or insensible, unfeeling and, and toughened. Have you ever met somebody with a hardened heart? Everybody look forward. Right? A hardened heart dulls a person's ability to perceive 
and understand. Have you ever tried to speak reason into a person with a hardened heart? We go back to Exodus. Moses went on the journey of trying to speak to Pharaoh and initiate this exodus and say, come on, let my people go. But the Bible tells us that Pharaoh wouldn't hear his pleas. Why? Because his heart was hardened. It was a hardened heart. Many of us have our hearts hardened because we're just trying to make it through the day. All right? And that's the only way that we can cope with our, our surroundings. And there's actually a few things that harden our heart. The first one is this, is division and devotion. So you can't serve two masters. We will always have a devotion battle in our hearts because everything demands our devotion. So the, 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 the fast track to having a hardened heart is when we are in a divided place when we're trying to serve two masters. I want to serve God, but I want to live in the world. Right? I want a healthy marriage, but I don't want to take the time to do it. <laughs> right? I want to see our world change, but I'm not willing to forgive. It's division. And our heart hardens when we are in a divided position in life. Why? Because God is just to the point where he says, I want your complete and total attention. I want your eyes fixed on me. I don't want any other idols before you. I don't want any other things before you. You can't be divided, otherwise it'll harden your heart. Constant exposure to the elements is another thing that hardens our hearts, hardens soils. I can't wait till like December and January rolls around here. We know who our skiers are. Why? Because they walk into church and this part of their face is like just beautiful and then the rest you're like, you need some lotion, bro. <laughs> their face has been exposed to the elements, you know what I'm talking about? And their cheeks are dry and they love it. My face has been exposed to the elements. <laughs> but it makes it crispy <laughs> and kind of odd looking <laughs> and that's what happens to our heart when the elements are constantly coming against it is that it has a tendency to harden it and bring crispiness to it and, and it's not as, as pliable anymore and it's not as, as soft as it once was because there's constant exposure to the elements storms, trials, bitterness, hate Frustration, you fill in the blanks. The other thing that hardens our hearts is our choices. You ever made the wrong choice just enough to realize that your heart's been hardened? And then you can no longer make the right choice because your heart won't allow you to make that choice because it's just that hard. Hardened hearts. So that's the first heart that Jesus, that Jesus shows us. The second one is the shallow heart. The shallow heart, Matthew 13, 5 through 6. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. We shout rocky ground. Rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. This heart is the heart of one who receives God's word but does not allow himself to mature in and through it. The word doesn't take root, so when the storms of life come or the offenses of relationship come or the weariness of life comes, the seed of God's word withers up and, and dies. It's the shallow heart. There's just not enough depth there. So he talks, he talks to us about the hardened heart. He talks to us about the, the shallow heart. The third one that Jesus shows us is the crowded heart. Matthew 13, 7, other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. This person allows their heart to become preoccupied with everything else in life, more specifically the cares of the world. 
Have you been so preoccupied before that you don't hear and see anything else? All the parents would understand this. Have you ever tried to talk to your child when they are preoccupied with something? Hey! <laughs> hey! Over here! Mom and dad speaking! And they don't hear you, and you're like, what is going on? So you literally have to go over and like, hello? Oh, what? I was playing with my toy. I was doing this. I was, I was doing that. They're preoccupied. I wonder if God has that type of relationship with us. <laughs> Where we're so preoccupied with all of our stuff. And this is what's funny about us. This is what's funny about humans. We will gladly be preoccupied with all of our stuff. Doing work, I'm doing family, I'm doing my hobbies, I'm doing all this, and, and I'm, I'll gladly be preoccupied, but then I'll get frustrated because I can't hear from God. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll get mad at God for my preoccupation. Why isn't he talking to me? What if he is talking to you? I'm just preoccupied. Right? We've got to be careful at how we start to define things in our lives. So we've got the hardened heart, the shallow heart, the crowded heart. When we're preoccupied with all this, Revelation 3.17 puts it greatly when it says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that I am wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This is... God's speaking to the churches. And the last one is the fruitful heart. Matthew 13, 8. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him, let him hear. This person is who, the one who receives the word of God, allows it to take root, therefore growing and maturing in a progressive direction. Okay, let's rewind now. James 1, 21 says we need to receive with meekness the implanted word of God. Jesus highlights for us what he is planting the seed of his word in, our hearts. Are we tracking? Okay. Now James is going to launch into this massive tirade. And he's going to go from verse 22 all the way to the end of chapter 2, talking about the things that our heart practically directs. And while we could stay on each of these things and individually speak to them, I want to deal with our heart in relationship to these things. Because if we can get our hearts right, if we can get our hearts in a better condition, then the natural flow of all these things starts to, starts to take place. So I need everybody to yell shout number one for me. One. The first one is this. Yell shout, do whatever. Hey. The first thing that we need to understand about our hearts is this, is our hearts regulate our desire towards obedience. James 1, through 25, a lot of scripture now, okay? But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like, right? But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See, if we're not careful, we end up demonizing the idea of obedience. We end up bringing this negative connotation to what obedience is because we live in a culture, we live in a day and age where it's like, don't tell me what to do, right? We don't want any, let's just be honest, we don't want anybody to tell us how to do anything with our anything, right? Don't tell me how to deal with my family. Don't tell me how to run my finances. Don't tell me how to do my job. Don't tell me how to dress. Don't tell me how to do, don't tell me. And I get it for a lot of different things. But the scary thing is when we take it into our relationship with God. 
there's like this taboo subject about obedience. There's like three things you don't talk about in church. You don't talk about sex, you don't talk about money, and you don't talk about obedience. Because like, wait, but I don't, God shouldn't control me. He's not controlling you. He's asking you to follow him. <laughs> obedience is not control. It's the measure of a man or a woman who decides to follow. Notice Jesus says to his disciples, follow me. That's the command. Follow me. Then what does he say? I will make you fishers of men. The greatest success that you will ever have in your life is not the amount of money that you will amass, not the business ladder that you will climb, not the business that you will build, not the marriage that you will have, not even the kids that you will raise. The greatest success that you will ever have in your life is the simple acts of obedience rendered unto God. Simple acts of obedience. Now, that obedience might be be the father that you need to be, be the husband or the wife that you need to be, be the business person that you need to be. Come on, take care of people. Do, that might be the steps of that, but the point is this. Great success is only measured by our obedience. Well done, good and faithful servant. Is a comment that is given to those who are obedient, not to those who have tried to prove something. And that's the difference. Our hearts regulate our desire towards obedience. Somehow we've moved away from the idea of obedience and have morphed into faith-filled suggestion. All of a sudden, God's word for our life has become faith-filled suggestion. We believe that God's made some suggestions, right? Everybody open your Bible this morning, we're going to take a look at some suggestions. <laughs> Said no one ever. <laughs> And we don't talk this way because it, it, it does. It, it can push us a little bit. Like, don't make me feel guilty. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. That's not the point. Do I have obedience issues? Yes. Absolutely. Obedience is hard, isn't it? Amen. Obedience is difficult because we don't want to. <laughs> That's the real unobedience. I just don't want to. Simple as that. Our hearts regulate our desire towards obedience. And I use that word desire. What if we became people who desired to be obedient to God's word? Like some days I wake up and I desire my coffee. Right? Can I get a witness? <laughs> I desire to be with my friends. I desire to be with my family. I desire to do these things. But what if the tone of my heart was today, God, I desire to be obedient. Today, I desire to forgive. Today, I desire to love. Today, I desire to reach out. Today, I desire to open up my voice and, and say what needs to be said. Today, I desire to be obedient unto you. I desire that. Man, what would happen to the world around us if the church became a church of desire? Not a church of, well, I kind of have to. I'm about to get excited in here. <laughs> our hearts regulate our desire towards obedience. Everybody shout number two. Our hearts regulate our disposition towards others. Okay, big long scripture. Here we go. James 2, 1 through 13. You love your Bible this morning. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in your Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say, sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down on my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That's a lot. Then he goes on. 
to carry the subject line. Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. What is, what is James dealing with here? The disposition of our hearts, the, the, the idea and the place that our hearts have going, like the condition of our hearts, it regulates our disposition towards others. I want to say this and I want to be very careful with what I'm about to say. In the culture and the generation that we live in, we don't have a hate problem. We have a heart problem. Hate is the overflow of a greater issue. And what I'm concerned with in our culture nowadays is that we're running around trying to find the cure for hate. <laughs> Come on, you can't find the cure for hate. You gotta find the cure for the heart. And the cure for the heart is Jesus. So when we're like, man, people are just so hateful and they're so mean and they're so this and they're so that, the issue is not those things. The issue is deeper. It's the, it's the heart. I'm concerned for our nation. I'm concerned for our world. Why? Because we need the church to rise up and be people who say, look, we got a heart issue and we got to deal with the heart. Heart issue. Jesus didn't come to heal our hate, he came to heal our hearts. Healed hearts strip away hate. Our hearts regulate our disposition towards, towards others. To really do well and say that we love others means our heart has to be in a proper condition. So James is dealing with this idea of like, if the rich come in, and he was dealing with this, these Rich people are coming in, they're in higher sex of society, and they're, they're this class unto themselves. If you say to one man who looks like this and has this and goes about his life this way, you sit here because you're these things, but then you say to somebody who doesn't have all these things, you stand over there or you sit at my feet, we are disobeying what it means to love. See, love does not have conditions. Doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter what you come in having done the previous night before, it doesn't matter what you're wearing, it doesn't matter what you have or don't have, we don't care. Because the church, right, the thing that Jesus said he would build needs to be the church with conditioned hearts that said anybody and everybody is welcome. Welcome home. Our doors are flung wide open to the anybody's and the everybody's of this city. Why? Because we love you. Because we love you. I'm getting ready to sit with, the, with one of our board members and our board's working through this thing. We talked about it in our vision, in our vision message, um, Redemption House, which is an initiative that we're trying to make happen with our city. So we have a, a meeting with the mayor in just a few weeks. We're going to be sitting with um, their person of like urban and commercial development. I, I don't know, somebody who does big things. And so <laughs> I won't talk. I'm just the face. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> who are you? The pastor. And he's mute, so <laughs> it will be the only time. <laughs> 
And the cool part is, is that they want to have a conversation. We want to have a conversation with them because we want to impact our city. We want the well to impact our city on a real level, not just having services that we all gather, but taking services out into our community, being able to house people who are, who are beat down and haven't had what they've needed to be able to help people through their recovery process, to be able to have, help people who have lost hope. Why? Because we love and it doesn't matter what you do for us. We just love you. We just love you. But wait, what about this in their life? Doesn't matter. We love you. But what about this and this and this? It doesn't matter. We love you. What about the theology? It doesn't matter. Jesus died for people, not theology. I know for some of us, we're like, yeah. Father, forgive them for the theology is not right. He didn't say that. Is theology important? Yes. Is doctrine important? Yes, 100%. But our theology and our doctrines should support what God has called us to do, not distract us from it. And I see, unfortunately, so many of us being distracted by theology, not doing the command. Am I talking to anybody this morning? <laughs> number three, Rashad, number three. The last one is this. Our hearts regulate the application of faith in our life. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's a harsh piece of scripture. Well, brother, we're not about legalism around here. No legalism in this church. We're not talking about legalism. We're talking about a response to God's great initiative in our life. So a lot of people says we need to throw out James. James can't be a part of the Bible. This is literally an argument that's taking place. James can't, he shouldn't be because he disagrees completely with Paul. Paul says by grace we are saved. And we are, that's what the Bible says. By grace you have been saved, it's not of your own doing, it's through faith, faith rendered unto God that we find salvation. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't find it at Walmart, you can't do anything to get this thing. It's grace, but then somehow we get things confused when James says, hey, listen, the grace that's been applied to your life should cause some faith and a heart that has been softened, a heart that says, man, God, I need to, I need to now live my life giving away what I've received. How is that legalism? I'm not trying to earn anything. I'm trying to applaud something. Think about that. What if my faith... What if my works is not about earning something, but rather applauding someone? What if the response, the things that I do in life, it's not about what I'm trying to do to, to make sure that I, I'm a good Christian and I earn what God has given me. What if it's simply a thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. And because I know the great gift that's been given, I've got to make sure that I tell everybody about it. I've got to get into my city. I've got to get into my workplace. I've got to help some people out. I've got to tell a very candid story, and I'm going to have the, the team come up. So yesterday, we were at the markets with some very good friends of ours. We've got some, these guys, Freedom and Claire Noble. Yes, that's his name, um, Freedom Noble. <laughs> we introduced him to my son, Justice, yesterday, and we were, like, beginning a comic book, so it was awesome. <laughs> Freedom and Claire were kids in the youth ministry that we were, the, we were leaders, and we've known these guys for a really long time. And so they're here um, checking out whether they should move to Salt Lake to be a part of the well. Um, so... 
and come with us. Help me out here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I told him I wouldn't pour it on too thick, but there you go. Um, so we went down. We took him down to the, the market uh, yesterday at, at the park, and we took him around. We're trying to woo them with how great Salt Lake is, and we love this place, so we're just pouring it on thick. And um, So anyways, we're waiting for them, um, and my boy, myself, Erica, and Shiloh, we were standing, waiting, and there were two homeless people. And one of them, she was sitting over here next to a tree underneath the shade, and she was having a really hard time. And uh, so Justice has $5 in his wallet. Now, hold on. Don't, like, go ooey-gooey on me. <laughs> this, is a, this is a teaching moment. <laughs> but it makes me think about this point that we're making this morning. So Justice has $5 that he's been amped to spend. We're trying to get him to save it. Like, hey, you got to learn to save money. He wants this gift that we've told him, like, I'm not going to buy you that. You can save for it, and maybe we'll put in a little bit, like we'll kick it in on the side, but you've got to save. He wants a Nintendo DS 349 I don't even know what it is. So I'm hoping if he doesn't earn the money, he'll never get it, which is the plan. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like, Dad, I got five bucks. And I'm like, sweet, when you're 42, we will get there. <laughs> so he's got $5. We bring him down to the market, and they're pumped to buy something at, at the market. And so Justice sitting there, and he sees this lady who's having a rough time, r- rough go. He's like, Dad, what's wrong? Dad, Mom, what's wrong? What's wrong with her? Well, you know, she doesn't, she's homeless, and she's got some things obviously going on, everything like that. And he's like, does she have any money? And we're like, no, probably not. She's, she's asking for money and, and everything like that. And then all of a sudden you could see him starting to wrestle with whether he should give her money or not. And it was the, the most beautiful thing, like, I got to witness. And I was like, son, and he was wrestling back and forth. And I was like, do you feel like you should give her her money? He's like, no. <laughs> no. I was like, okay. Um, do you want to give her money? Yeah. She needs it. Do you, do, you, do you want to give her, like, maybe just a dollar? And I'm working with him. I'm not going to force him to do this. And he's like, no, I, I don't want to. I want to I buy my thing today. I was like, okay. And that's, that's where the, the situation stopped. Now, for some of us, we can go, oh, my gosh. Your child's not spiritual. You're the pastor. You're supposed to have your house in order. <laughs> One and two, Timothy, let's do this. <laughs> and I let it go as a father. Why? Because I want Justice's faith to be built and in by his understanding of who God is in his life. And see, for some of us, we give or we do or we work because we feel the duty to do so. But what if our hearts were conditioned in such a way that we operated in the world around us, not from a dutiful heart, but from a heart of desire that says, because of what God has done in my life, I really have no other option but to reach out. I have no other option but to open my wallet. And justice, I love it because I'm watching that relationship grow and he loves God and it's amazing to watch 
as a, as a seven-year-old developing his relationship with God. And so he's going to get there. I know that he's going to get there. But some of us do the same thing. Well, no, I'm, I'm just, no, uh-uh, I don't want to. Okay. But then sometimes we go to the other side where it's like, I have to. Here's your dollar. Here's your item of food. Here's your this. Come on, my Versus, oh my gosh, I have an opportunity. I mean, if we're just running around Liberty Park, like opportunities everywhere. <laughs> Why? Because my heart has been softened. And my heart regulates the application of our faith. I pray this weekend, church, for some of us, Maybe you were coming in here hoping for just a nice, good message that helps you tackle Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday to get you through back to Sunday. But you stepped into heart surgery. The question I want to pose this morning as we close, what's the condition of your heart? James chapter 1, 21, all the way through to 2. is all about the things that happen in our lives when the condition of our heart has been changed. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning?